morning. I love hearing babies um, during silent meditation. It's just, it brings so much joy to me. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever been told that you are too much? Too much of something? That you're too loud or too quiet, too playful, too serious, too emotional, too reserved, too shy, too boisterous, too young, too old, too something? It's not true. You're not too much of anything. I'm not too much of anything. Though it has taken me a long time to begin to believe that. In my lifetime, I've been told such things as I'm too serious, too sensitive, too quiet. And for a significant part of my life, I believed those comments and took them to heart. What this meant was that I had to constantly defend and protect myself against the judgment of others. I couldn't fully be open and honest with others to make myself vulnerable. I couldn't be fully myself because in some way I believed I was flawed. I know there are others who also believe that the, these untruths about themselves, that they are flawed. Tara Brock, a therapist and Buddhist meditation teacher, describes the all-too-common experience of believing that there is something wrong with us, that sense of not being good enough. She calls this living in a trance of unworthiness, which, which defines and delimits our experience of life as we continuously replay our worries and plans. Inherent in the trance, according to Brock, is the belief that no matter how hard we try, we are always, in some way, falling short. In order to avoid or resist those feelings of unworthiness, we engage in strategies to hide or compensate for what we believe is wrong with us. Brock offers some examples of strategies that we use to hide or compensate. See if you recognize any of these. We embark on one self-improvement project after another. We hold back and play it safe rather than risking failure. We withdraw from our experience of the present moment. We keep busy. We become our own worst critics. And we focus on other people's faults. These hiding and compensating strategies seem to be deeply embedded in our culture. Everyone is always busy, 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 running from one thing to another. We have to be doing something rather than simply being. We, we are challenged to be in the present moment because there is so much we have to do. We make a to-do list during meditation. And then we criticize ourselves for doing so, 
for making the list, for not getting it all done, for taking time to stop and smell the roses. Then decide that there must be something wrong with me that I can't stay present, that I can't meditate, that I can't keep up with all the things and remember everything, or that I am not ecstatically happy in every single moment. Never fear, though, there's a booming self-help industry that will tell you exactly what is wrong and how to fix it. According to Sierra Dunet, Words Rated, there is an estimated 10 million self-help books sold annually. And that doesn't take account of used book sales. Clearly, a thriving market that is invested in our continued belief in our own flawed nature. That there is some deficit that can be identified, eliminated, overcome, or improved upon for us to lead healthy, full, productive, happy lives. And I believed that for many years, that there were things about me that had to be changed in order for me to be worthy. Brock writes, the way out of our cage begins with accepting absolutely everything about ourselves and our lives by embracing with wakefulness and care our moment-to-moment -moment experience. By accepting absolutely everything, what I mean is that we are aware of what is happening within our body and mind in any given moment without trying to control or judge or pull away. Quite different from the premise of self-help in which we need to fix something. Here, the focus is upon accepting ourselves as we are for who we are. Or as the famous shame researcher Brene Brown put it, living with authenticity is the daily practice of letting go of who we think we're supposed to be and embracing who we are. For me, the, the shift away from the de deficit view began in 12-step recovery. It was really highlighted in seminary, and the process continues to this day. The fourth step in recovery is made a search searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. I began that process in earnest, laying out all of my defects of character, everything I thought was wrong with me, and that I thought needed to be fixed. The process I took on was demoralizing and depressing. When I presented this to my sponsor, he queried, well, what are your character assets? You have to have assets to replace those deficits or there's a vacuum. At the time, I could not come up with a single asset. So my sponsor offered one, you're persistent. <laughs> for me, looking for assets took so much more effort than identifying defects. It was a new and foreign experience for me. Years later, in seminary, I expected to learn about the practice of ministry, theology, and worship arts. I couldn't anticipate how much of my learning would be centered upon learning about myself as a person and a minister. 
The more I learned about this myself, the more I could accept who I am, which then translated into being able to accept others for who they are. For Brock, there are two parts to genuine acceptance. To see things clearly and to hold our experience with compassion. For me, seeing clearly means coming to understand how I relate to the world. Just telling myself that I need to accept someone else's judgment about me is not genuine acceptance. For example, simply trying to force myself to, to accept that I'm too quiet. It's not genuine acceptance. Instead, genuine acceptance is a journey toward understanding and embracing who I am. One of the first critical pieces of understanding for me was learning about introversion and extroversion, that we differ in our preferences for the degree of stimulation in our environments, as well as what drains and what recharges us energetically. Another piece toward clearly seeing is in learning that there are three primary symbolic languages our brains use to think visual, auditory, and kinesthetic that are combined in six different styles for how our brains receive, organize, and generate ideas. I learned that there are four primary ways that people respond to expectations, both those outer expectations that are placed on us from others and our inner expectations, what we expect from ourselves. I explored my natural talents and how those talents interact with my other talents and with other people's. Last year, I began learning what it means to be a highly sensitive person. I began to understand myself as an introvert who is naturally reflective. I enjoy silence and solitude. I'm inquisitive and enjoy gathering and collecting information. I'm highly sensitive to noise and crowds. I feel everything quite deeply. I learn best when I'm reading or through hands-on experience. And I quite prefer to do things my own way. Each of these discoveries was accompanied by a sense of relief and excitement. Oh, there are others who think and experience the world similar to me. I'm not an aberration. The results of these learnings were that I began to better understand myself and how I think, learn, behave, and experience the world around me. I could see more clearly who I am. Knowing these things about myself allows me to then take better care of myself, to make sure that I get the things that help me to feel balanced and grounded. The second part of Brock's genuine acceptance is holding my experience with compassion. Understanding that it is, <clears throat> understanding what it is that I need and then providing appropriate self-care is holding my experience with compassion. Compassion means that I make sure that I have quiet time. Compassion for my experience also means that I allow for the experience of being human. 
that I make mistakes, that I hold myself to hold space for myself to feel, to grieve, to love, to feel happiness, to feel sadness, to really experience what is happening, whatever is happening inside me without judgment. Brock writes that we often distance ourselves from emotional pain, our vulnerability, anger, jealousy, fear, by covering it over with self-judgment. When we push away parts of ourselves, we only dig ourselves deeper into the trance of unworthiness. Compassion for ourselves for our experience is a necessary ingredient to true, genuine acceptance. Feeling compassion for ourselves in no way releases us from responsibility for our actions, states Brock. It releases us from our own self-judgment so that we can fully respond to situations. I see clearly what has happened and where my actions have caused pain I hold myself in with compassion knowing that I can both cause pain and still know that I am worthy of love and belonging. I can hold myself with compassion while also attempting to repair harm that may have been caused. It is not compassionate or helpful in any way to mercilessly deride myself about what happened. Instead, I have compassion for myself as a person who makes mistakes. According to Brown, practicing courage, compassion, and connection in our daily lives is how we cultivate worthiness. Courage is putting our vulnerability on the line, to risk getting close to others, to share our experience with another. When we are courageous with others, it opens space for the other to also practice being courageous. Compassion, Brown describes, is a relationship between equals. In compassion, we suffer with another. Connection is the energy that exists between people when they feel seen, heard, and valued, when they can give and receive without judgment, and when they derive sustenance and strength from the relationship. In her book, Brown illustrates how shame and blame are damaging to courage, compassion, and connection. Previously, I felt the need to defend and justify myself against the judgment of others. Having to put up walls to protect myself meant that I could not speak honestly and openly about myself with others, to be vulnerable. In turn, connecting with others was challenging. Vulnerability is necessary in forming connections with others. Having courage to share deeply who I am and what my experience has been allows the other to get to know me and opens the door for them to share about themselves, their thoughts, and their experiences with me. 
we become our authentic selves in relationship with others. We move out of the trance of unworthiness. We, com we become the compassionate and loving people we're meant to be. We begin to live a wholehearted life. There are many situations and people for whom having compassion may feel quite challenging. Often, however, it seems even more challenging to have compassion for ourselves and our experiences. We are quick to criticize, judge, and condemn ourselves. The things I say to myself, I would never say out loud to another person. I would respond to a friend with compassion were they to tell me that they did the same exact thing. And yet, I feel justified in deriding myself. Somehow I should be different than everybody else. Imagining how I would respond to a friend is a helpful practice for compassion toward myself. A loving kindness practice is another way to open ourselves toward compassion for self and others. As we end this time together, I'd like to invite us to share in a loving kindness meditation. If you'd like to join, I invite you to close your eyes or softly cast your gaze out in front of you. Allow yourself to remember and open up to your own basic goodness. Recall times when you have been kind and generous. If seeing your own goodness is difficult, imagine seeing yourself through the eyes of someone who loves you. I invite you to silently whisper to yourself the following phrases, offering prayers of care for yourself. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I accept myself just as I am. May I be happy. May I know the natural joy of being alive. May I be peaceful and at ease. As we begin to open the circle of loving kindness, bring to mind someone that is dear to you. Reflect on this person's natural goodness, what you love about them. And silently offer them loving kindness. May you be filled with loving kindness. 
May you also accept yourself just as you are. May you be happy. May you know the natural joy of being alive. May you be peaceful and at ease. Enlarging the circle of loving kindness, bring to mind someone for whom you feel neutral. This may be someone you don't really know, someone you see but don't really interact with. Reflect on the basic goodness of this person and their desire to not suffer. May you be filled with loving kindness. May you accept yourself just as you are. May you be happy. May you know the natural joy of being alive. May you be peaceful and at ease. We continue to enlarge the circle, bringing to mind someone with whom we have a difficult relationship. As you bring that person to mind, notice whatever arises in you, perhaps anger, fear, or hurt. Hold yourself with compassion as these thoughts come to your awareness. Now bring to mind some aspect of that person's basic goodness, their humanity. Sense that this person also does not want to suffer. Hold them gently and offer loving kindness. May you also be filled with loving kindness. May you accept yourself just as you are. May you be happy. May you know the natural joy of being alive. May you be peaceful and at ease. And now I invite you to allow your awareness to open in all directions. Sense that your loving presence is holding all beings and offer care to the world. May all beings be filled with loving kindness. May all beings be free. May all beings know the natural joy of being alive. May all beings 
experience deep peace, peace and ease. May it be so. Amen. <laughs>